Testing, testing. Yep. All righty. So help from Dan. You're the best. Oh, he turned on the recorder. <laughs> no, no, yeah, he'll take the credit. <laughs> That's cool. All righty. Um, so how about we just go ahead? We have a few on there already. So how about we do the next slide, and that'll tell us our first question, Mike? That's not the right question. That's not a question. That's an answer, by the way. I want way. that way. I want that <laughs> way. <laughs> All right. Did, that is from Ben. Did the dinosaurs roam the earth before Adam and Eve were created? You want to go for it? <laughs> God created everything in seven days, right? So dinosaurs are part of the category of everything, right? When was Adam and Eve created? Did you ask the, Did you ask this question? No, my uh, Ben did. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that would mean that everything, all of creation, Adam and Eve were the last of creation. So everything before Adam and Eve would include dinosaurs. So Does that makes sense. So the answer is if you if you take the I, I got you can hold on to it. Isn't that fun? Um, so the answer that Mike is giving, Ben, is that because din- the created animals on the land were created on the fifth day, yeah, and then humans were created on the sixth day. So technically, yes, <laughs> technically dinosaurs were roaming the earth prior to, prior Adam, and to Eve. Adam and Eve being created. Um, and now, if we, and even if you don't take a literal version of Genesis, which you can, you don't have to, um, in my view. Um, still, yes, the answer would be that dinosaurs did roam the earth before Adam and Eve. Um, even if you don't take a literal understanding of Genesis. And that's a different question before anyone asks that. So uh, whether or not a literal or figurative version is meant to be understood. So does that answer your question, Ben? The answer is yes. Good? Okay. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) All right. So that's Dan. This came from men's group. This came... (laughs) Busted. <laughs> Do you want to answer that? He did bring it up. It is Kyle's fault. He did. Actually, there's a question that Ed asked in, in Facebook, by the way. They didn't even put it in there. Do you want to answer that one, or do you want me to? No, you start. All right. Um, because I'm not sure. Okay, like I have a question. Okay. Because I was absent from that men's group meeting. Okay. I don't know how it Define came up. <laughs> single and double. I think that's the point. Predestination. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's, that's the, the question. Point. Okay. Um. All right, so predestination, we're, I'm going to assume that right now, we're going to assume that predestination is a thing. Um, and predestination means that before God created all of this, he knew who was going to belong to him and who wasn't. Um, and that he was going to bring forth those people from, from the world of evil into his realm of glory. Um, and that's predestination, that prior to time beginning, God already knew. Um, and now, single predestination believes that, okay, people have free will. So let's say that all humanity is right here in this big pot, and we're all sinners. Single predestination means that God specifically picks out one individual or two or however many for his purposes. Um, but he leaves the rest to their own designs. He doesn't need to touch them. He just lets them be. Single predestination. Double predestination is the belief that he purposefully chooses both those who go to heaven and those who, let's say, go to hell. He's very particular in choosing both. That's double predestination. The answer as to which is right. <sighs> How do I say this? 
I think Romans 9 is interesting. <laughs> Romans 9 is interesting because that's where it talks about predestination. Um, and it talks, Paul very clearly, I think, does state that predestination exists. I think that if you take Romans 9 seriously, you do have a sense in which there are some who are called out of the darkness into the light. And there are some who are purposely still in the darkness by God's design. And, I, and before everyone throws stones, I mean, I don't think that necessarily means everybody, actually. I think that that means people like Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh was purposely kept in the dark. And the point where even if you look at Pharaoh and the, um, the, the, the ten plagues, the first five plagues, it says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The second five plagues, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But after Pharaoh had at least five chances, five, yeah, he, on, did. he had five chances yeah. to... Yeah, but, but still God's doing something. That's the, pro, that's the yeah. point. Because like, at that point, God is very... And God even says in, in Exodus, the reason why is so that the world may know that I am the Lord. That God's glory would be revealed. So do I think that God purposely raises up evil individuals, perhaps, for the purpose of showing us our darkness... So that way we could know what is the difference between darkness and light. I think that's possible. Um, if God is truly in control, I think that's plausible anyway. <laughs> I was absent. Let me, take, let me take a stab. Good. I think also we need to make sure that there's a definition or a distinction between predestination for salvation. Yes. As opposed to predestination for those that were called to be prophets. Would they be different? Well, d different <laughs> categories in that, well, everybody knows John 3.16, right? Yes. That does not in exclude anybody. But if you keep reading. Who, who, <laughs> who, whoever shall, meaning... yeah. But, but contextually, you're looking at it from, okay, let's say John is a Jew. And he says, for God so loved the world so much. Yep. That's a serious statement for a Jew. Because for a Jew, yep. I mean, they believe that God is only for the Jews. Not for the world. So for John to say that God loved the world so much implies that not only Jews, but anyone can find salvation. Right. But if you keep reading through John 17 and 18, it actually yep. gets very complicated because he says those who don't believe are already condemned. Right. So, I mean, to, to, I think it's dangerous to take one verse and then well, to build necessarily a thing well, on it. And, <laughs> and I would hold, we, we, we all, I, I think, have to acknowledge that God is omniscient. Yes. God is merciful. God is, all of the attributes of God have to be um, put together or held together and that not only our salvation and our calling, uh, or maybe if you wanted to use the word election. Yeah, same thing. Uh, God, knowing everything, is never caught off guard. He can and he did look down through the halls or the corridors of time. We are creatures of time. We are slaves of time. He is not. And he knew beforehand who would accept, who would believe, and who would not believe. 
as far as the concept, and maybe I'm misunderstanding the question, the concept of God choosing you, 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 you're going to be saved heaven. You, 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 you're not going to be saved hell. Uh, that That is directly contrary to the concept of free will, which God gave us all free will. In that, and this is where I think you have to have broad definitions, in the context of who, who did God elect? Well, who's eligible for salvation? Each and every individual is eligible. So in that context, they are elect. Many are called, but few are chosen. Yeah. But then that's the problem, because well, that would imply that God chose them, not the other way around. Chosen <laughs> refers to those, the individual chooses God. That's not what it says, though. In the context <laughs> of, yeah. No, not, that, not that verse, we, we gotta, We got to, <laughs> all right, so we're going to, you're going to beat me up on this. <laughs> I'm not going to beat you up. I'm just going to, I'm going to help you reason. That's <laughs> We're going to think about it. Um. But many are called, but few are chosen. Again, that's, this gets into, you know, our, our definitions, you know. Oh, yeah, and, definitions and, are key. I agree. And uh, uh, all of humanity is called. Every human being has the privilege or the opportunity when exposed to the good news of the gospel to accept or reject. That's the concept. Free will. And as I said, I'm going to hold to that God looked down through the corridors of time from, well... Eternity has no beginning or end. He knew or knows who will and who won't. We don't know who will or who won't accept the call to, uh, uh, to grace, the good news of the gospel. I would Am I rambling? Uh, no, you are a little, but it's okay. Because um, that's how we reason through things sometimes, <laughs> is, is, <laughs> is by doing that. Uh, I do think one other thing, too, is to consider, I think it's in Ephesians. I think it's Ephesians 2, 1 or 2, um, where it talks about... Uh, those he, who he foreknew, he predestined. Yeah. Um, but if, again, if he, you're saying that he foreknew. Who didn't he foreknew? But then he predestined. <laughs> so, so, see, so I'm saying, you see, so it seems as though there is, there is some element of God's choice in the matter. Um, and, and that's where the question, I can't, I don't know who that is. Like, it could be you, it could be me, it could be the guy down the street, it could be anyone. And I think that's where Mike is right. I don't know. Um, the, our responsibility is not to know who God chooses or who God turns toward himself. Our responsibility is to be faithful to proclaim the word because it's through that word, that, pro, that proclamation of the gospel, that people are truly transformed. That's how his way of doing it. So even if God has predestined, let's say, people to one or the other, then it doesn't negate our responsibility. And I think that people conflate... Um, free will and responsibility as though they're two different things, but they're not. Um, for example, I mean, I could be predestined to, uh, to be saved, but it doesn't negate my personal responsibility. So is it possible that God has free will in the sense that he gets to choose who will, and we get to also choose other things in our lives, but it's his choice who becomes saved? That's plausible. Um, now, also, there is, this is all very Calvinistic. Um, Calvin thought, which is, you know, all people are morally depraved, therefore all, it has to be God who elects us because we're all sinners. 
There's also another view, which is Molinism, which does not negate free will. Instead, it would argue that God places us exactly where we are, knowing exactly the choices we're going to make, knowing the exact choices we're not going to make. And from that, like a butterfly effect, he is able to put exactly who he wants where he wants in order to bring about the most possible people for salvation through their own free will. It's still God choosing. It's still God doing it, but you still have a responsibility and free will. Um, I get that. I don't know if I necessarily believe it. It makes reasonable sense to me. But, yeah, I think we're going to be getting close to I don't know. This, this question <laughs> has probably been discussed oh, yeah. since a, since, a long time. Since Romans 9. Um, <laughs> actually, since, since, since probably Abraham. <laughs> because Abraham was just a heathen like any other. He wasn't searching for God. Yeah. God chose Abraham out of, of the pagan nations. Um, and ever since then, you have that, that question of, okay, who is God choosing and why is he choosing it? And I think that the ultimate thing that comes down to, if God does truly elect people, as scripture does seem to imply, then there's a reason for it. And I would su- suspect it has to do with free will, and I think it has to do with the fact that God is going to be most glorified through this particular group of people as they make their life choices um, in the, the long run. Now, that doesn't mean that, let's say, Mike is going to make the best possible choices now compared to the guy down the street. It could be that the guy down the street in his own personal life might make better choices than Mike. The problem is, though, we don't know what's going to happen in a thousand years if that other guy becomes a Christian versus Mike. It's entirely possible that Mike might not be as perfect as the other guy. I'm not as, obviously, use myself. I'm not as perfect as the other guy in my own life. (laughs) Sorry, Mike. Um, With my moral choices... But in a thousand years, more people would become saved because of the choices that I have made versus the other guy where a thousand less people would be. We don't know those things. Yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> that's, that's beyond our human. Exactly. That's beyond but, our capacity. But God, it's not beyond God's. No, and that's why, that's why I would say that if God does choose particular people, it's because of the choices that we do make. That makes sense to me. And even if we, we do the best we can, right, we're not going to be perfect. I know I'm not, um, but I think that that does play in there. I think that we all have personal responsibility, but I'm not going to deny that God clearly in the scriptures does do something to turn people toward himself. Um, And that's where it gets into a very strange mystery that I don't know if I have the answer to, but I have some inklings, but it's no definite answer. that could be one of them things that we're not supposed to have the answer to. Correct. And I agree. Uh, and and as we continue, if we if we had all the answers, if we think that in our human arrogance we we can <laughs> we can be as smart as God or get God figured out, then yeah. uh, that is nothing but arrogance. Yeah. Um, but we should also let's pick an but, easier but, question. Yeah, let's, <laughs> Dan. <laughs> all right. Um, possible. That's po- pl- it's plausible that God chooses some and chooses others for f- specifically. It's definitely plausible. I think that the reason why God does choose some versus others, if God is involved in it, is because of the choices that they will make in the longer scheme of things that we can't see beyond five minutes. God can see in a thousand years. So he chooses each one of us as we proclaim the gospel and others into that with their free will, knowing that they are going to make the choices that they make and that in the end, he will be most glorified from those choices. Um, in that way, we have a responsibility, but we also don't take the heavy load of saving people. God does, if that makes sense. And that's, I could, I could get behind that, so to speak. Um, so, okay. 
Robin's agreeing, so it must be right. <laughs> uh, broke a sweat in that one. I know. <laughs> Sorry. That one's a hard one, right? That one's been talked about forever. We're always going to be talking about predestination. It's going to be one of those things. Um, will Jesus come and bring us home very soon? You want to answer that? <laughs> very soon is a difficult time parameter. I don't know how much will depend on how you define very soon. There is no prophecies in Scripture that remain unfulfilled that would prevent. Jesus can come home, come to take us home anytime. He could come in the next five seconds. There's nothing in the Bible that, that makes him not eligible to come. So it could be very could be very soon, but what happens is we, as people, get impatient because we have microwaves and we can cook a dinner <laughs> in five minutes or less. And we we push that button, we want it. Uh, very soon is possible, but we don't know, and even. Jesus doesn't know when he's going to return. Only God the Father knows. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I agree with Mike on that. I don't. We have to live in expectation that it will be today. That's our call. We are to continue to live as though uh, God is that Christ is going to return this very moment. Um, and that's why Jesus gives that warning. You know, the the workers at the vineyard who were lazy and things like that. Don't be the worker who's lazy. Be the one who is continually doing what's supposed to be done. Be faithful. Because when the master arrives, you don't want to be there taking a nap. You want to be there doing your job. And that's why that, those warnings are always there. We don't know. But it could be. It could not be. It could be another 2,000 years. I don't know. I don't know. What do we got? Yep. yep. <laughs> there we go. Have fun with it, Mike. <laughs> you want to read it? Okay. If God is good... Why did he send an evil spirit on Saul? 1 Samuel 16, 14, and 18, 10. Well, the first thing that we have to agree on or that we have to understand, it, there's not a question of whether or not God is good or evil. God is good. Okay, so let's establish that first. And... He allowed an evil spirit to come on Saul back, uh, that was back when he was trying to kill David. 1 Samuel 16, 14. 1 Samuel 16. And then 18, 10. Let me, whoever asked that question at least has an awareness of the background and that story and that context. That was Ed. Her, that was Robin's Ed. Okay. <laughs> Now, He's not even here for us to glare in, at him. And in verse, in, in verse 14, it actually, let me read verse 14 of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. This, uh, Okay. I think this goes back. Uh, uh, the uh, spirit was allowed. Yeah. 
Okay, first, we but have to acknowledge there are evil spirits. Yes. They exist. They are real. Yes. Directed from God. Yeah. And it was permitted to influence all of Saul's decision. This evil spirit was. Same, now we're getting back to the same kind of a predestination <laughs> thing. Mike, why are you bringing it back every time? Huh? <laughs> All these questions. Um, I mean, I, if, let's say, if we go back to the predestination question, though, I mean, it does answer this. Yeah. Um, because if, if God is allowing things to happen with our own free will, and he knows that, let's say, let's say he knows that in, in 200 years with Saul's line, they're going to get back to a Sodom and Gomorrah understanding of the world. But he knows under David's line, it's going to lead to Christ. He would allow an evil spirit to come in. Mm-hmm. He would direct an evil spirit to come in for that purpose because he knows the results. I um, mean, I think that's the point. That, that's, he knows what's going to happen. And I think that's where we keep on getting. And let's say when you read First Samuel, when you read the kings and, and the prophets, you keep on seeing that God is very much aware of what's going to happen with the repercussions of our choices. Um, and if, let's say, he knows the, the good and the bad, and he's trying to encourage us in a particular way, he has every right to do that. He's God. Um, so, I, I, and I don't think that the I don't think that this negates God's goodness because if God is going to bring about the greatest possible good with people who have free will, He would have to do things like that. Well, and that even goes back to did okay. Mike's going to ask a question. Oh, here we go. <laughs> you guys have now, to answer. <laughs> did God contradict Himself by allowing? King Saul to be inserted as king in the first place because the command was no kings. But then the people said, we want a king. So God said, okay. And now here we are wrestling with this one. You could take that same question and that same response and answer back to Saul even becoming king in the first place. As far as free will... God's glory, uh, they're, they're, they're just intertwined together in that God, God is good. There's, there's no, yeah. it, it's not hypothetical if God is good. He is good. Yeah, the problem, so then we have to yeah. look at it from the answer or from the perspective. What are we missing if we would think that God is bad or God is evil by making that supposition. Yeah, I think that the issue there is that uh, God is good, but we as our human tendency is toward evil. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that this makes God evil. I just think he knows what's going to happen with the choices that people make, including Saul. And if he's, he's trying to bring about a particular purpose with that free will, he can do that. Um, hi. Ooh. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, and I think that people have a misconception about the devil and God. I think that people think like, oh no, God versus the devil and they're equal. No, God's up here, the devil's oh, down yeah, here. And they're not equal at all. I mean, Jesus just simply said, get out. He spoke to demons, get out. And you know where that and comes that's from? And I admit that I struggle... <laughs> Whoever seen the, the old Bugs Bunny cartoons or any cartoon? What, the, the, with the demon in like a pitchfork? On one shoulder, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The other as far yeah. 
and then you're stuck in the middle as if each of those influences are equal in authority and equal in power. It is a misconception. That in itself is a lie yeah. that purposely or inadvertently has been perpetuated on us yeah. to influence how we think or don't think. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, that's how I would say it though, Robin, if that made sense. And Mike, I agree with him. So let's go to the next question. What? Hattie, you have a question. What's your question? So going back to Adam and Eve. <laughs> Every, yes. Good question. You have to well, you don't go to Adam and Eve. You got to stop at Noah. Well, I mean, it still starts with Adam and Eve. <laughs> he came from Adam and Eve too. Um, I would say probably if if. If you have a, a male and a female and everyone came from that male and female combination, then yes. Um, so if you have Adam and Eve, yes. Um, I don't know how like they would look at it now scientifically with all that jazz, but yeah, I would say yes. We are all related, and genetically it shows that we are. DNA-wise, humans all share the same DNA in that regard. Like We have different attributes, but... In the end, yes. So the answer is technically yes, technically. But as people grow and as we have uh, families from over here and over here, it slowly becomes what we have today. That's the best way I can answer that. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> All right, let's do the next one. Why are there so many different translations of the Bible? There's one I have slides for. You have slides for this? One? I do. Oh. Does anyone know why there's so many different translations? Uh, anyone know? I'm just going to... Tower of Babel? Trans I, I presume we're referring to English. American or yeah. English translations. I would say English. Do you, want, do, do you want me to just take it? You, you take it. All right. Yeah. Um, go ahead and throw up the next slide for me, Robin. That's right after this one. Oh, you pre-gamed this. Okay. No, that's not right. What happened? There's no different. I'm going to get the slides up, and I'll help with this. Pardon me. No, you're good. All right. Let's, yep. Um, can I see that real quick? Oh, these got all mixed up. Yeah, I think so. Oops. Here we go. We'll do that. All right. No. Whoa. So why are there so many different translations of the Bible? What does that say? Nothing. It says something. What does that say? Hmm. We can't translate it. Without, 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 without more without knowledge. Without the... So the problem is, is that with, with, with Hebrew, ancient Hebrew is that. <laughs> they don't have any vowels in ancient Hebrew. And so as you're sitting there with your book trying to translate it into a new language, you have to look at that. <laughs> and then you have to have an understanding. So let me go ahead to the next slide to see if that's the right one. I'll see. It should just, there we go. Is that a little bit easier now? So now we have two different sentences. All right, what was that, David? <laughs> what are you thinking? All right, all right. So, the, so was it 
So who said he gave him the book and asked, do you know how to read this? Who got that? Let's see. Let's see the next slide, please. Let's see the next slide. <laughs> he gave him the book and asked, do you know how to read this? Or so it seems. What's the next slide? He gave him the book or the bike and asked, do you know how to read or ride this? <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> how do you know which is which? How do you know which one you have? Um, he gave him the book or bike and asked, do you know how to read or ride this? The next sentence would be, he read the letters on the page to him. That's how you figure it out. <laughs> you have to, context helps. And that's why context is so important when we're reading the Bible today, because if you get it out of context, you could have a completely different understanding um, than what we see. And that's why there are so many different translations, though, is because one translation will read, let's say, air, A-I-R, and then another translation will read spirit, because they're basically the same word in Hebrew, and in context, you have no idea which one is actually the right one contextually. And that's when you get different translations. Um, now, does that mean that the Bible is like, you know, going to lead you astray? No, because even those, these little variations that we see are actually quite little. Um, it's not going to change your overall theology if you read one translation over another. And a good way to actually know what the Old Testament especially is saying um, is to read different translations because then you get to see, okay, what are the little idiosyncrasies and will it change my theology overall? It won't. Um, you also have like other things too. Like uh, uh, the Masoretic text, I believe, is, is a very old Jewish text. And I think it comes from the 6th or the 8th century. Well, what happened was is that there was a fire. So from zero, from the time of Jesus to that text in 800 uh, AD, we didn't have any other Bible translations of the Old Testament. So for 800 years, you didn't have anything. And so the King James is based on that text. Now this book, let's say the ESV or the NASB, they're based on 1950. And what happened in the 1950s is Qumran, when you had the Dead Sea Scrolls found. And then they now had texts from 800 years prior. Now, the interesting thing is that the texts were basically the same. So from the time of Jesus, even before the time of Jesus, all the way to the Masoretic text, that 600-year period when we didn't really have anything, the same thing. Um, the only differences were actually, there was a moment in the King James, and I don't remember exactly where it is, where like the, the paragraph just stops, and then it picks up again. Um, and that's because the Masoretic text, I think it was that one, didn't have the finished two sentences. Well, when we found the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls, guess what? We found those two sentences. And so we were able to put them back in, so to speak, in the ESV. Um, and so like, it's little things like that that cause you to have different translations. Now, what I recommend is like the NASB, the ESV, they're the best when it comes to translating it literally. Um, and then you have the NIV, which glosses things over to make it easier to understand, but sometimes they do bad glossing, <laughs> in my view. Um, so that, but that's the reason why. It's because you should really go hug a scholar <laughs> because they, they really do. They, they put a lot of time. And, and then you also figure too, like even in our own time, like we have, we have Greek, which our English language flows from, ancient Greek. Uh, Koine Greek, and then you also have Latin, and it's kind of like a big combination of both. 
So it helps knowing other languages of the same time period. That's why you have Ugarit. That's why you have all these different um, places, Babylon or um, the Medes, the Persians, uh, Syria, all those. We find things, and it helps us to better understand what they were saying back then. Um, it does help, too, that we do have some things from uh, the Babylonian Talmud and things like that. But that's, that's the gist. That's why you have so many different translations. It doesn't mean you're reading a completely different text. It, overall, the differences aren't that strong. Unless, let's say, you're, I don't know, there can be some strong depending on if it's a gloss. If it's more of a, the message, for example. It's, a good, it's, it's interesting to read, but it's his interpretation of the text. Um, which is interesting, but it's still. Which, yeah, we get, you want to be careful. You want to. You don't want to. The first one that comes to mind is the uh, Jehovah's Witness translation. Correct. As far as, and I acknowledge I do not know the history of how they translate the way they translate. No. But there's enough differences there that are. Yeah. Significant. Yeah. Ba- basically, they just want to make Jesus look like a. Creation rather than the creator. Um, So they do whatever they can to to twist those scriptures. And that's where you have to be cautious. Luckily, the one plus is, I think, for all of us, is that we are 2,000 years in church history. We have 2,000 years to glean from what people have been saying in the church for 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. And that helps tremendously. When you go back to the earliest Christians, they believe the same things you believe today for the most part. Um, There's a few different variations, but overall... They believe the same thing. And that in itself is one of the staunch, in my opinion, one of the staunchest, uh, I'll say, defenses for the authenticity of the script. It's what stood the test of time. Yeah, exactly. With so many detractors. Yeah. We'll go ahead to our next one, Robin. What will it be like without sin? And I can think of this as like end times. uh, Millennial reign. Millennial reign or, or, or... when after the final judgment, when there is no more sin, um, well, I think it'll be perfect. <laughs> There's no death. The reason why we have death is because of sin. Sin is the cause of death. Um, and I don't know. It's. Go- I think it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be the best way I can describe it is. I don't know if anyone has ever had an experience with God where they just feel overwhelming joy, um, which I hope everyone has. <laughs> At least once. Um, Overwhelming joy. Imagine that forever. Never letting it go. It's always with you for eternity. No Um, distractions. No distractions. No no getting... Um, Knowing God as he is meant to have always been known. And being in the very presence of God. Correct. Uh, I mean, mean, our, our, our whole intellect and our whole emotional... I'll say baseline, is going yeah. to be different than what it is now because we are so easily distracted. Yeah. We are so easily be, uh, tempted. Uh, but we will just be in his presence, and we are going to want to be, along with all the others, just enthusiastically praising God all the time. Yeah. And, and what that looks like, though, I mean, I don't think it means that we're going to be, like, on harps, on clouds, <laughs> singing. I think it's going to be very... Very different than we could ever know, um, but it'll be still similar in the sense that there's, there's going to be familiarity about it. Um, and who knows? Maybe you'll be able to create universes. I don't know. I, who knows what the possibilities are? We don't, our, our imagination is the limit there. 
in a way. Um, so long as it's good. That's the thing, because God is good. Um, I'm looking forward to it, though. I don't know if anyone else is, but I'm... Um, how many more do you want to do, Mike? I'm good with... Huh? 20 more, Dan. <laughs> how did Moses part the Red Sea? Oh, I mean, I'll take this one. Go ahead, thanks. <laughs> he, he raised his scepter. Well, I was going to say, I, I was going to say Moses didn't. Oh. <laughs> God did. He got God, me. God did. Yeah. Um, whether or not, like, let's say God caused something to happen with the sea to to cause it to stop flowing, like physically, naturally, like. I've, I've heard things like, okay, there was, a, there was a volcano that erupted over here that caused the Red Sea to get blocked for a second. And then Paul, God can do it that way too. I don't know. I don't know if he just parted the waters like we always see in, you know, Charleston Heston. <laughs> do, that, do, that was the image of I know, it always does. I mean, it's, he's, he's the best Moses. Um, <laughs> minus Moses. Um, so, I, I mean, I would say God did it. And he was just, he has control over all nature the way that Jesus walks on water. Um, he is able to just simply do. He's able to raise from the dead. He's able to do whatever he wants. It's his creation. Um, so that's my, my answer. And, and to follow up to that question, not only the timing was appropriate, and then the timing was appropriate for him to close it. Yeah. So not only did it open. So, which kind of makes me wonder, like, if God did, let's say, cause a volcano over here, he not only planned it for them to be in, in Egypt yeah. for that long, for a purpose, so that way he could, I mean, if, if that's the case, I mean, you see a complete design possibly there that is very, only God could do, basically. Um, and there's something to that, I think, and I think it's plausible, so, but still, it's, God did it. That's how it's at. Go ahead, I guess. One more. Dan says one more. No, this is actually the last one. Oh, this is the last one. Please clarify the term Sheol and hell, heaven and paradise. Hmm, okay. I'm not a scholar, but I know hell is an English translation that unfortunately is referring to lots of <laughs> things besides what we think of the lake of fire and brimstone. Uh, Sheol is Old Testament, that'd be Hebrew, that's the place of the grave, the place of where the dead place abode of, yeah, the place or abide. The- um, place of the dead. Place of the dead. Um, and, and see, one other thing, and I can't remember when I come across this. Where the and I in a couple minutes I could figure it out, but in my trans and I'm sure in all of our translations, there is a word translated hell that in the Greek means Tartarus. Tartarus is the deepest abyss of hell. hell. The word hell is an unfortunate English translation. There's, there's a lot more um, Greek and Hebrew uh, characteristics that deep, more, more accurately define what we think of as hell. Because I would ask the question, when you, when you hear the word hell, what do you think of? The lake of fire and brimstone? Okay. Well, the lake of fire and brimstone, hell, that doesn't even open for business until after the great white throne judgment. So, where, what 
then is the destination of lost souls prior to the great white throne judgment. They're still in hell. Where are they? They're not in the lake of fire and brimstone. That Sheol is Old Testament Hebrew. Hell is English that is used to translate both Greek and Hebrew. Heaven and paradise. Uh, Those are are other unfortunate uh, English translations. The word paradise, that's in reference to uh, uh, when Christ was crucified, uh, the two thieves on either side. You'll be with me in paradise. Uh, This day you will be with me in paradise. So, where did where where did a an Old Testament saint abide? A, a dead Old Testament. Where did the soul of an Old Testament saint abide prior to Christ's resurrection? Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom, also translated paradise, uh, heaven. Meaning, or you know, we we think somewhere up there in the cosmos, um, and I think Scripture says there's at least three levels of heaven. You know, I mean, atmospheric. And Paul makes reference to that. I know I'm rambling. No, you're doing let good. The, let the scholar deal with it. Oh no, that's a tricky one, right? Um, I think Sheol, when it comes to the place of the dead, it, the, how do you define dead? I mean, I would, all souls are eternal. Make sure everybody knows that. Yeah. Bodies decline, yeah. bodies decay, well, bodies go away. Yeah, souls but, are eternal. Yeah, and that's the question, though, is how do you define, again, dead? I would define dead as separation of body and soul. Um, oh, let me interrupt. Well, separation, death, etern- like spiritual death, is separation of the soul from God. You can't do that. Why not? How on earth could you get to a place where God is not? Um... Is God, well, okay, so you're saying God's in Tartarus? <laughs> yeah. How can he not be? Because otherwise Tartarus would not exist. Because God, there's no place where that could exist where God does not exist. Good point. I'll have to rethink. <laughs> um, and so, so, so I would say that, okay, if we're defining dead as separation of body and soul, and we see this with Rachel when she passes away. It says um, very specifically, uh, she was dying, her body was separating from her soul. I think that's the simplest uh, understanding. So separation of body and soul. The soul goes to Sheol, the body decays, like Mike says. Um, and then when it comes to heaven, the, the soul would go up into paradise in that capacity. Now the question, of course, goes to what happens at the end, judgment, and I have different thoughts about this as well. But I would say that Sheol is the place of the dead where the, where the souls of the dead dwell. Um, hell is the same thing, um, the place of the dead. It's just, it's a Greek translation of a Jewish concept. Um, heaven and paradise are just the same concept. They're, they're, they're where God dwells in the heavens, so to okay. speak. Okay, I, I, I yield to God is in hell, or has... <laughs> that was, or has, uh, that was us. <laughs> I, I didn't say that properly. Yeah. But par- paradise, be, uh, be, before right. Christ resurrected, Abraham's bosom would be... A level of Sheol. Yeah, place of the dead. Okay. And we know... Uh, and in, uh, in theory, heaven would technically so, be a place of, of the dead as well. And 
of maybe a spiritual realm is how I would describe it. Heaven is a spiritual realm. Who asked that question? Was that you, Hattie? That was, I think, Bonnie or Linda. (laughs) It was one of you. I think it was one of you. Um, That's a good question, though, because, and again, I mean, it also helps us define, I think, what the second judgment looks like personally. I mean, I think that personally the second judgment is a complete, total, forever separation of body and soul. I think sometimes we think too highly of, of the spiritual, so to speak. We're very platonic in that way where we think, okay, the spirit is what's important. But God created us body and soul. He created everything good. We are, and Jesus himself is body and soul. Um, so for, from what I understand, when, if you notice too, it's not like the people in heaven dwell there forever. God creates a new heaven and a new earth where we all dwell together in a new heaven and a new earth. Um, so I, I think that when we understand it from that perspective, I think it, A, helps us understand judgment better, and B, it helps us remember that the body is just as important, and that's why you can't just let the body decay or just let it be not used for the glory of God. Because sometimes we can get in that sense. We can get in that sense that the body is less important than the spiritual things, but the body is just as important. Um, because God created us with a body, and Christ has a body, and he has a body forever. His body's never going away. So, yes, that's that. <laughs> I don't know if that answer. Where's Linda? Linda, did you ask that one? Did that help at all? <laughs> did, that, did, did that answer anything, or did that just confuse you? Yeah. If you have more thoughts, you can always ask next time, and we'll just redo it and see if it's the same. <laughs> or we'll research it more, I think. Um, I think that was the last question, though. I don't think any, does anyone else have? Oh. I do. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> About what? AD and BC. Oh, time periods. Yep. Okay. And she informed uh, the children that it was not what they thought it was. And wouldn't go into details what she thought it was supposed to really be. AD and. Well, the thing is, is that uh, what happened was you had BC, which means before Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then AD is Anano Domini, which is uh, after death. After death. What they ended up doing was changing that to BC and BCE. So before. Or BCE was before Common Era, era. Oh no, BCE and CE before Common Era, and then Common Era, and that's why they changed that because you have to be naturalists. I'm, I'm not been exposed <laughs> to that before. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean I, that's I that's common that. now. That's that's what they do now in in schools is that they teach. They don't teach AD and uh, BC anymore. They teach BCE and CE. But um, it's still re- the same time point. Same concepts. The, the, it's the still, still the same. It's still zero, what we call zero AD, is still zero CE to them. They just don't, they want to take out any Christian element from it <laughs> as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, scholarship does that now quite a bit. AD starts like when Christ was born? No, after death. Well, it's, well, it, it, is, it, is after, it, is, it is after he's born. Because that's, as soon as he's born, death ends. It doesn't necessarily happen at the resurrection. It happens when he comes to, to the world. That's the, yeah, but I mean, the problem is, too, is that they did get it a little wrong because we don't know if it's 0 AD or negative 3. That, that's the question. We don't know. Is it, is it 3 BC that Jesus was actually born or 0 AD? And we don't know. That's why we don't really know if it's 30 uh, AD or 33 AD. I'm going to take my hook sure. back from them scholars. Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give them credit. I mean, I mean, granted, I think that the pluses we actually what helps 
in 30 AD or 33 AD, I forget when, there was actually, we're able to go back and look at all the solar eclipses that happened. And one of them did have a solar eclipse happening right during the Passover, right at the same time as Christ would have been dying. Um, so we're able to, I forget if it's 33 AD or 30 AD. One of them, though, has the right timing. Um, which is really interesting when you think about it, because that's just another thing that the Gospels got right, was that uh, there was a total eclipse during that time, um, which is really cool when you think about it. I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. Other people don't think it's cool, but I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Science, yay. Every once in a while, science can be great. Other times, it can be really weird. <laughs> cool. So, um, anyway, I, anyone else have any other questions before we close it up? Before I might make Mike do a solo. <laughs> anything over it? Robin, you got anything? You think? Dan? Dan, you got any questions? I know you had a bunch. <clears throat> and you were itching. You're going to save them? Save them. Yeah, all right. Um, how, you put one in there? Yeah, the single in the whole Oh, that's sure. Did that get answered at all? <laughs> Confusion more. Um, all right, how about we pray, and then uh, we'll continue on with the day. Mike, do you mind praying for us today? Father in heaven, we pause and give thanks for your majesty, for your glory. We give thanks, Lord, that you are in complete control all the time. And we give thanks that you give us minds that want to know more. And as we seek you, as we seek truth, we just pray that you... you Uh, will continue to put us in places where we can uh, receive answers to our questions. And for those answers that are reserved for future, we pray, Lord, that when we see you, we'll have all of our questions answered then. So bless us as we depart, and may you um, be lifted up in praise. May... Uh, may you be pleased with our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Amen.